0: Hello, Welcome to Better Words. I'm Caitlin, just a bookish babe. And I'm Michelle from the Unfinished Bookshelf. Hi. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so, we
1: saw Crimes of Grindelwald last night.
0: I um, have so many thoughts and so many feelings. We're I,
1: confused.
0: I'm a bit confused. If you've seen it, hopefully you understand why we're confused. If you haven't, we're obviously not going to say
2: anything. <laughs>
1: If should was, we just do that again yeah or, so we saw crimes of brindle Ward last night
0: yes and we're very confused and have a lot of feelings and thoughts um if you haven't seen it we're obviously not going to spoil anything um maybe a few quick comments loved queenie and jacob i'm so yeah, glad i'm that glad Jacob's the team are back the, the team, team are back together yeah yep. i love that i love
1: tina oh, i love new how good was jude law Yes, I, I knew do I love was going to be –
0: Like I knew he was perfect. Yeah, but like I was, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, the plot's confusing. Um, I, I'm definitely going to have to watch it again to understand.
0: A few things. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just, we all, all like four of us, because it was me and Jack and Caitlin and our friend Indy, mm-hmm. We all went together, and we all like, at the end, we're just like, what? yeah like what what just how, how does that work
0: um yeah very odd yes i mean if you have seen it and feel the same way as us please like dm us because i just i need to talk about it with yeah. someone who's seen it yeah
1: i know i want to talk about it but we also don't want to spoil it for everyone who's gonna go see it um i will say about this series though is that it is beautifully shot oh
0: they're, they're such beautiful, beautiful movies. movies. They're such beautiful movies, and there's so many beautiful things. I mean, mm-hmm. even the sequences with Newt and some new Fantastic Beasts that we meet—they're just—they like, were really lovely. The way they move, and like he interacts with them, and their mm. you know surroundings—they're beautiful. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. No, I do love the those this these movies for that, and I do love you know it's it's the twenties and quite glamorous and fashionable and yeah. really really nice, but. Um, yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I
0: mean, they're still weird. What are you going to do? But, I know, yeah. it's... Look, Speaking of, you've probably yeah.
1: seen the criticism if you're a fan, and, like, I would say a kind of, yeah, it, it all matches what we saw. Yeah. It's just confusing. yeah. Odd. Anyway, that's all we can say
0: without spoiling it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Speaking of other confusing things that I don't want to spoil, I have finished watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. We're so
1: close. Jack's very annoyed at me that I didn't let him keep watching it without me. Like, he was like, why don't you watch it also? And like, we can both watch it, but not together. And I was like, no, it's not the same. Okay, we're watching it together. So we haven't quite finished it. We're close,
0: though. We're close. Overall thoughts without spoiling? I like it. It's weird. I never watched it at night time. It is lo- quite it's creepy. I just I watched one episode. Like I was like, oh, I'll watch it when I going when I'm going to bed. It was like the third episode or something, and yeah. I just like. I had to like look up the try guys and watch them do some really stupid stuff to like feel okay to go to bed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is. It is really creepy, and I do like overall the fact that they've gone in that direction because they're specifically from the start not trying to be the Melissa Joan Hart version. Like yeah. they are very much just like total opposite,
0: which not, is great. But this is also making me really want to rewatch every single episode of <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage Witch because I freaking loved it.
1: I wish they would put that on Netflix. That would when be really will good. will Netflix
0: get the rights? Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs>
1: Um, I I love Ambrose as a character. I
0: love Ambrose. Was it you
1: I was talking to? It's like Ambrose is I think I've
0: seen – I'm I'm not saying I'm 100% right, but I think I saw an article that was um, saying about the differences between the two shows and that Salem's character was a bit of a smush of a couple of different characters. And then as I was reading this, from knowing that Ambrose is on like house arrest in the series – I, like, clicked that Salem was, like, cursed and on house arrest as their cat. Like, that was, like, his punishment for something. I don't Mm. remember what it was or if we ever even found out.
1: I think, I feel like we did or we got close,
0: maybe towards the end. But I just, I don't remember. So, but, boom, so there we go. Salem in Sabrina the Teenage Witch is probably Ambrose and Salem, the cat.
1: I do like, it's very feminist, very, like, lots of new issues um you know we have like um a really lovely male male romance and things like
0: like that's really cool yeah and I really love um like all the characters of her friends like Susie and oh my god I'm just totally oh Roz I think it's Roz yeah I just totally blanked on the name god but also obviously Harvey I love Harvey Harvey's great
1: I actually, uh, yeah, I actually all of them. really
0: love this version of Harvey. Yeah. He's oh, yeah, good.
1: because the the version of Harvey in Sabrina the Teenage Witch was a bit of a boofhead. Like, he I mean, was he just was like... And,
0: he was kind and caring, but stupid. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> he was like,
1: oh, Sabrina. Like, he was really, yeah. like, just a bit... Mm, he was like the high school jock. Like, he was good looking, but there wasn't much going on you know yeah. so I like that they've made like this Harvey easy much for more for him to not notice that she's yeah. a witch yeah. yeah like this Harvey is much more like intelligent and we also
0: learn a lot more about him and like her friends families because in sabrina the teenage witch again to keep comparing it sorry is actually completely about sabrina and the Spellmans. like we don't know anything about her other friends i don't think
1: well it doesn't take away from the fact that we learn a lot about her and her family and her mom and her dad in this um which we never got like her mum and dad stuff
0: no i don't even remember why was she living with i don't her even aunts?
1: remember yeah because
0: i'm pretty sure her dad was actually alive i don't remember yeah so this is why i need to rewatch this it. <laughs> whole thing goes a lot
1: more in depth because it's not a sitcom it's a drama yeah and that's the main it's not a half hour sitcom it's no the episodes drama. aren't even
0: like 40 minutes they're like full hours. yeah yeah yeah
1: they're it's really good so yes loving that um and jack it feels Clearly the same like it, loves it yeah. too um, watch it. I know because that was meant to be my show that I'd watch by myself and then we watched it together one night and mistake. yeah but it was like the first night and I was like we're watching this tonight and I, I feel like it was after something it was like after a work event or something like that and I was like we're gonna go home and we're gonna watch this um and I just wanted to watch it because it was the night it came out and then he got really into it and it was kind of good though because we've enjoyed it we've both enjoyed it um so I just had the most amazing week Yeah. Uh, so I went down to Melbourne and Geelong. Um, to go to a nonfiction writing festival. So, I've talked a lot on this podcast, out of my blog, and on my Instagram, and everything about how I've kind of discovered this love for nonfiction that, like, it's probably really only developed over the past year or so, really. Well, Maybe a little bit more. More crime nonfiction specifically. Yeah. Crime yeah. nonfiction specifically, but a lot more feminist books like Eggshell Skull, which I cannot recommend highly enough like Mm -hmm. it's brilliant and um no country woman with which we both just read and um Zoya Patel who wrote that is going to be on the podcast um but I've definitely yeah got this newfound love of non-fiction so when I saw this festival I just decided to apply for a grant with absolutely no knowledge about how difficult it usually is to get grants or anything about grants which is probably good because I didn't overthink it and I usually would um so while I was overseas actually I found out I got this grant didn't know what the lineup was going to be but had budgeted to be able to go to tickets like get tickets for every session pretty much or every session you know how there will be like four on at the one time so like one every hour I would go to basically um in the end I ended up booking 12 sessions which was amazing Uh, And when the lineup was announced, um, Helen Garner was the opening night address. And I loved her book, This House of Grief, which is probably actually the first crime nonfiction I read and really brilliant. And I've since been reading Monkey Grip, um, which is a re-release of her very first novel. And my mum had been telling me to read it and text publishing sent it to me. um, And it arrived just in time for like traveling to Melbourne. And it's, it's really amazing. She's got a very unique writing style. And it was very interesting to listen to her talk. And you know what the best bit about that was? She said that she, no matter what kind of writing she's doing, it can be 200 words, it can be a book. She always sits down to start it and feels like she cannot write anything and that she's absolutely hopeless. And I was like, well, there is hope for all of us then if Helen Garner feels feels that way. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like
1: it just... But she talked about it as a fact that, you know, after she gets through that, she realizes it's a process she's got to go through. But then it's like amnesia. And by the next time she sits down to write, she's forgotten that it's just a process <laughs> she goes through. So it's very interesting. And I'm sure a lot of writers can relate to that. Even sometimes I feel that with like news stories where I'm just like, I cannot write anything today. It's just, it was just really funny. And obviously gave a lot of people hope uh, that, you know, one day we might be able to write even a fraction as good as Helen Garner can. Um, <laughs> one of the other standouts was Gillian Triggs, who, even if you don't necessarily know her name, like you will, you will have heard about her in the news because she was the Human Rights Commissioner for a couple of years and um, dealt with a lot of issues around 18C, which people may have heard of in passing in the news, but was to do with racial vilification. Um, She's also dealt with a lot of issues around um, asylum seekers and also the children in detention in the Northern Territory. Mm -hmm. So the thing that shocked me about that was she was saying that she had done a huge report about how badly children being treated in the Northern Territory. And it was basically buried by the government, which shouldn't surprise us but it was it was announced it was the report was it was like I table this report at 9 p.m on a Friday when no one cares and the news cycle doesn't care mm-hmm. and no details were released but you know it's now a public document so you could go back through and find it if someone told a journalist but, no but there was paint. no attention yeah oh, okay. Until a few, like a year, I think it was a year later, that Four Corners report came out and we saw that really shocking footage of um, the young man, like, strapped to the chair with the hood over his head, which is exactly what had been reported in her report, that that sort of thing had gone on. But as she said, that's where the media is so important because it wasn't until people saw that that you win the hearts and minds of people. So it was just really a very fascinating opportunity to hear someone who has led such an incredible life as a law professor and she's so intelligent and just so well spoken and articulate um talk about basically how we have the least yeah and also we have like the least rights of any democratic nation like we don't we are the only democratic nation without a bill of rights and was just such a feeling of like everyone in that room was ready to like rise up. It was so <laughs> wonderful. It was really wonderful. The only thing that was a little bit sad for me is I basically saw... Um, well, all the people I could see anyway were all kind of, I would say, elderly. Which is like great that they're going to these things. But it would have been nicer to see younger people at these events. Yeah. And that can be something to do with marketing and stuff like that. Um, I missed Clem Ford's talk because... Because I, um, when I did look at the lineup, there was another like true crime session on and, and considering I got the grant because I'm writing true crime, I wanted to go to that. Um, and I did get so much out of – I talked to so many people there um, and I I had the pleasure of meeting Astrid from the Garrett podcast who I'm sure people will know, um, so it's Writers on Writing. Um, and I was so thrilled when I gave him my card, our card, our Better Words card. She's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, no, you guys. I was like oh. – so hi Astrid. People Um, know us. (laughs) I know it was so it was so nice Um, but yeah I think I got so much out of all the sessions and then um, to top it all off um, and top off the book shopping I did and you know the general shopping in Melbourne I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Carly Findlay who we have had on the podcast go back and listen to her episode she's amazing her book is coming out next year she just she told me it had just like gone to the printers
0: I know I saw that on Twitter so so it's so
1: exciting I cannot wait and we will hopefully be having her back on the podcast to talk about everything that's happened since yeah because there's been a lot that's happened with the writing process and stuff which I think will be really interesting um and then I also had the pleasure of having dinner with Tamsin from Babbling Books, we've also had on the podcast, um, and Kate from. Um, Lily Tails and her partner Sim, and together they run Nook and Borrow, which is a company we adore on this podcast.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> Um so, I got an email today about a sale and I was like, oh no, I'm to spend money. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I did order some stuff and say, can can I pick it up from you when I'm there? So I picked up like a little package of Christmas presents and stuff, um, but it was so lovely. And it's it's funny because like we, we've had Kate on the podcast as well. She was one of our first people who – came on like I feel like within the first 10 maybe even yeah. five episodes so like she's been supportive from the very start which has been lovely and um it's funny though because I feel like I kind of already knew Sim from like some of the Nook and Burrow posts and stuff and from like Kate posting about them and stuff but then it was really lovely to meet so her actually, in person yeah. well
0: exactly because yeah. we do feel like we know these people and we've talked to them and interacted with them on social media but we live in Queensland and they <laughs> Everyone else lives in Melbourne, so we haven't met anyone.
1: (laughs) But it was even Kate said that when she's like, that's so lovely to meet And she's like, that sounds weird because we kind of already know each other. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And it just, it kind of, the only thing that left me feeling sad was exactly what you just said as I was leaving. And I was like, Oh, I can't just hang out with you guys. Like you are so, like they were so lovely. We had such a lovely, delicious meal at this lovely vegan pub in Carlton, which incidentally is also where a lot of monkey grip is set. So we cool. walked to readings in Carlton, which we've heard a lot about, but yes. haven't gone and seen. And another oh, shout out for one Melbourne. of my other favorite bookshops in Melbourne was in biggin books. Um, and I took a lot of photographs in there cause it's beautiful. And then um, I also gave them a couple of cards as well and they were selling Kate's bookmarks so I was like this is a good shop but yeah, yeah. that was another that was another really good shop um but only other weird thing that happened not, it's not weird it's a lovely bookish thing but when I was in Geelong um I found a nice coffee shop and across the road was a secondhand bookstore sadly they were closing down and they had a sale on so of course I went in there uh, and when I was looking through like browsing I just kind of go in You know how you just have a list in your head of like, oh, these are books I'd want to buy, like if I found them. And like a lot of mine sometimes are like out of print books or whatever. And I was like, you never know what crime fiction they have. Like a lot of that stuff can be, like I found some on the Gold Coast. It's very like small press, but, you know, there's no other way to get hold of it now. It's like out of print. Anyway, I found some copies of books by Jacqueline Wilson, who is my favourite childhood author. I found one of her adult novels from the 1970s that is very, very 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 long out of print and i finally found a copy of it and i haven't read this one i've read a couple of others that i think i got hold of through like the queensland university library when my mum was working there but they are so incredibly hard to get hold of um so of course i bought them and they're like proper little hardbacks obviously x library because they're covered. Um, and the second one is one that I've read before from our library but it's long out of print now it's from the 90s so cool. that was like a little bookish discovery um, and yeah oh and just to to keep things like in terms of what we've been watching I watched the entire fifth season of break while I was there <laughs> which I loved um, hard to tell sometimes whether it's political documentary or satire because it was our actual parliament is really stuffed up um yeah so yeah. and I've, I've been reading monkey grip basically and only oh and i'm reading the clockmaker's daughter by kate morton as part of Nookenborough book club and i love kate morton's work so it's nice to be reading that again but it is a chunky book like yeah, i'm 160 pages in and there's a lot to go yeah they're,
0: they're big ones <laughs> yes they are are you, My God. are you
1: reading anything at the moment?
0: Oh, I'm halfway through about five books. Okay.
1: <laughs> the usual. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, struggling with that a bit. I Because I went back and forth and, like, started books for people we were interviewing. Yes. Or um, I'm halfway through, about halfway through, I think, uh, Dominant by L.S. Hilton, which I read while I was overseas. It was the second book I read while I was overseas. But I kind of ditched it, it when I got there. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah, I, But... If I can finish the books, I'm all halfway through by the end of the year, that will bump up my reading number by like, well, five, so a lot. <laughs> and I don't have to read five whole books because oh I'm almost yes. finished a few. Um, that's You know what? I'm to excited
1: take. to record in a few weeks. So we're, we're actually going to take a break over Christmas, which we didn't last time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, last year. Last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, God, it's nearly the end of another year. I can't believe it. So we're actually going to take a break, but we're going to finish the year we've got this interview that you're about to hear and then we've got one more interview I i think and then maybe potentially two whatever um but then we will do like a wrap up and we'll share with you our favorite bits from the year what we're looking forward to next year um and also if you have any other questions about like particular recommendations or anything like send us send us the question and we'll see if we can fit it in because i mean that that sort of stuff's always fun
0: exactly so, send us yeah. A's on instagram
1: yeah that would be great we might even do a shout out for that
0: yeah, we yeah. Should. have you finished no country woman a-
1: yes yeah yes yeah. I Yeah. So um, enjoy this episode. We were really excited to get the chance to interview this person. It's really fun. I don't know why I still act like it's a secret. It's clearly not a secret. It's clearly not a secret.
0: Her name is in the title of the episode. So please enjoy our interview with Jane Caro.
1: We're very excited to be joined this week by a celebrated author, journalist, broadcaster, advertising writer, and respected social commentator. Our guest regularly appears on Q&A, The Drum... The project, Sunrise, Today, and Gruen Transfer. This year she received the Walkley Women in Leadership Award and also celebrated the release of her third young adult novel, Just Flesh and Blood. Welcome to Better Words, Jane Caro. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is our pleasure. Um, we were really excited when um, we got the chance to do this interview.
2: Yes,
0: we're so excited to speak to you. <laughs> well,
2: that's very nice of you. Um, <laughs>
1: Um, I have to correct your intro. I haven't been on the Gruen transfer for about five years. I'm oh afraid. no! So, like, oh <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm it's so sorry. About ages that. Ago. <laughs> oh, sorry. We were doing some research that's last right. night, and I did. I like because I've watched it for years. I was like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> sorry yeah. about that. Yeah,
2: that's all right.
1: No problem. <laughs> so we'll talk today about your historical fiction trilogy, which you know has finished with just Flesh and Blood. Um, yep. So that follows the life of one of history's most powerful monarchs, Elizabeth the First. We'd love to know a little bit about um, your kind of. I saw the word like obsession in some of your columns <laughs> and talking about it, and um, why you wanted to tell her story for a new generation.
2: Well, um, when I was young, which is a long time ago now, and I was a, a, a girl in the sixties, in particular, a child, um, there were very few female heroes. Um, those there were, were, um, you know, they were soppy um, and, and sort of, you know, their job was to magnify man and make him look twice his natural size. And all uh, they came to sticky ends, you know, um, Joan of Arc, for example, you know, it was horrible. There wasn't... And, and boys had heaps of heroes. Everywhere you turned around, there was a, a man doing something which, you know, a guy could think, oh, I'd love to do that. It was nothing for girls. It was, you know... Wives and mothers, wives and mothers, wives and mothers, as far as the eye could see. And then there was this, you know, one woman um, back in the 1530s who (coughs) was exceptional. She uh, had a terrible, um, neglected childhood, but against all the odds, she inherited the throne of England. And she um, ruled for 45 years, um, and she was pretty well universally considered to have been, um, within the limitations of her time, a good ruler by both men and women. And she also quite astonishingly and astoundingly refused ever to marry or ever to have children and indeed was celebrated as the Virgin Queen. And so, and she was regarded as incredibly intelligent. Her intellect was kind of the most admired thing about her. Um, And almost every woman, it was either her self sacrifice or her looks, and so it was just. So she was so important to me when I was a girl growing up. Just the idea that there was another way to be a woman in the world.
1: Yeah. So why then did you want to bring that to a to a new generation through this series?
2: Because I think we have this idea that feminism is a kind of passing fad. Constantly, we talk about, oh, you know, young women aren't feminists. Well, mind you, they never have been. It's always. Marriage and motherhood, radicalises women. When they (laughs) start realising, oh, I've been sold this pup. Oh, I see. It takes takes them every generation a while to realise just how how much the world is stacked against them, Um, and so you know, there's this constant view that it's recent, that it's a bit radical, that it's a bit bizarre, and any minute now women will come to their senses and get back in their box and behave themselves. And what I found, uh, what I think is fascinating, is that this woman, although she would never have used the word feminist, I don't think it actually existed at the time, um, and was not a particular fan of her own gender in a lot of things she said, nevertheless lived life as a feminist, like under her own terms. And I found out fascinating things in the research like for example people like um, Mary Queen of Scots and Catherine de' Medici and Mary uh, and Elizabeth Tudor all owned some tapestries from a book we still have the book we don't have the tapestries the book was called the book of the city of the ladies and it was written in the 40 early 1400s 1400, think 1405 by christine de Pizan, a french writer and it's a fantasy about building a city to keep the men out and it's got uh pictures illuminated manuscripts of women um Pouring over architectural drawings and blueprints, and planing wood, and uh, you know putting uh, water between bricks, and uh, you know doing, uh, and they're all in their medieval garb, you know conical hats and things like that. And it suddenly dawned on me that women have had feminist um, thoughts and inclinations and ideas. For a very, very long time, but co- it's constantly disappeared from history because it's inconvenient history, if you like, to the dominant culture. And so it was in, I, you know, important to me, I thought, to um, remind young women and young men that this, there's nothing new about this. It's been going on for a very long time. And also, I thought, you know, she so inspired me when I was young. I, I just thought it would be nice if perhaps she could inspire uh, young people today.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that idea of bringing, you know, because there's so much out in the world now that, you know, younger generations miss out on some of these kinds of stories. And it's a really nice way to bring bring them back around, I think. Um, so yeah, you do...
2: well, I learned most of my history from um, when I was a gold Jean Plady, who was a, you know, uh, a classically as a female writer of popular fiction dismissed and belittled but she wrote historical fiction about real female figures in history and I devoured those books, I loved them and um, they gave me a female narrative about living in the world in the past and in the present and we, we still lack those female narratives about you know how it is to be a girl and a woman in this world and how it was once you know.
1: Yeah, I think that's so true. And um, oh, Caitlin, I don't know about I don't know about you, but um, when I was probably ten or eleven, I found these books which were written as diaries of princesses. And one of my favourites was about Cleopatra, and it's all written from like, like from her first, perspective. Yeah, yeah. There was that one, and the other one which like made me cry so much was Anastasia because at the oh. end, obviously things happen and they all die Um, and I remember turning the page after the diary ended kind of before the revolution and reading the history and realising that all this had sort of happened and just feeling like I'd lost a friend because I felt so connected to these characters. So I think it's wonderful that you know there's a new set of books coming through for women to to find and and boys as well to discover these people because they are amazing people in history and you know often we just have the history books you know in school we might learn about the just the dates of their reign and And
2: wars
1: yeah and you you know bad things we learn about yeah it's not human it's not it's not about you know I when I set out
2: to write these books I my driving thing, the thing I wanted to do for myself, whether they ever got published or anyone else ever read them or not, and I think it is important for novelists to have a reason to write the book that is more than the reader. It's about themselves and what they want to find out. Um, I, I, My driving thing was, what would it have felt like to be her? Because she's always presented as this kind of almost almost like a brand you know a kind of iconic figure with the white ruff and the white face and the kind of um, you know she doesn't feel real the way she's presented and yet she was a person a real person who would have had all the same fears and insecurities and 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 passions and and um you know things that all of us have as we go through our life and so for me it was that was what was driving me what if you if you were faced with these circumstances that she was faced with you know what would you how would you feel how would you react what would you do and um that's I always think how we learn to identify with people outside of our own experience that idea of empathy of the fact that yes you know 500 years is a big difference um in the same way that You know, a different race, maybe different, or a different religious background, or even a different age, an older person, a younger person, but actually, or a different gender. But actually, you know, we're all much more similar than we're different, and empathy is about us discovering what we have in common. And it it, it strikes me that we live in a period of history when that is really important. We need to rediscover our empathy
0: yeah yeah I completely agree (laughs) um so then you do have so much experience as a writer and commentator and you've published lots of non-fiction work so then why Um, tell this story fictionalized
2: well I always wanted to write a novel and um (laughs) I I I I I, you know I was a little bit about it I wrote a number of very poor striving to be literary novels um, and then I thought to myself, you know, I'd love to get published. What what, what kind of a novel do I think um, might have a chance of getting published? And I thought, well, genre novels is what gets get published. And so then I thought, well, what genre could I write? And I thought I couldn't do science fiction. I'm not clever enough to come up with those plots. Um, I couldn't do um, romantic fiction make me want to kill myself um, what could I do and then I thought oh historical I really like history and then I thought well who you know take a lot of research I'd be hard work and I thought oh but I've read everything there is to read about Elizabeth I so that's the research done I'll start there actually as I discovered that there was an awful lot more research that I needed to do but it was basically that kind of a thing and I just sat down and Wrote the first chapter of um, Just a Girl. Um, I was in a writing group, and I had to have something done by, you know, the end of the week, so that I could read it to them um, at our regular meeting. If you're in- interested in writing, do join a writing group. It really gives you a deadline and keeps you honest. And um, I-, I just blurted it all out, and I read it to them. It's not exactly as it is in the final um, book, but it's pretty close. And they all listened at the end of it for the first time ever. They all said. Yep, that's the best thing you've ever done. Keep writing that. <laughs> so um, that's, you know, you need a, a word of encouragement is often all you need. And uh, I found myself also so enjoying the journey, so enjoying um, really finding out about this, at that, in that book, Young Woman. Um, and her extraordinary childhood and adolescence. I mean, it really is quite bizarre. And I don't make anything up, and I don't muck about with the history. I do get annoyed, actually, with um, novelists who muck about with the history. Perhaps it is because I come out of being a non-fiction writer and a social commentator. Facts matter to me, and so I keep the facts factual. Um, Obviously, I make up the characters and the conversations and that sort of thing. But I wanted both the restrictions of um fact and the freedom of fiction and i think it's called faction a bit now isn't it That, that <laughs> yeah. sort of genre. And, and and i actually i really do enjoy being in that space because doing knowing the plot already you know because her life is so um well documented freed me up to therefore spend my time um imagining the the person developing the character, uh, working on the voice, you know, and the relationship, doing the things that I'm really interested in because, you know, plot's all very well, but it's actually, for me, always about the personalities and what makes people do what they do that is the most fascinating part.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love how you mentioned, though, that having the restriction can actually help you because I find the same, like, I... As like I'm a, I'm a journalist too and I I would much prefer to write, you know, a creative non-fiction piece than to try and come up with my own plot because there is something that allows me to be more creative when I already know the ending. <laughs>
2: so, I think that's yeah. right. I, 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 certainly that's how I found it. And, um, you know, I, I just... And also I'm enjoying having to do all that much more fine research that much more forensic research you have to do because you know you're suddenly writing something and you think well hang on if I really was, was her I'd know where I was right now you know mm-hmm. was writing this so I'd have to go and do the research and find out well where was she when this happened where you know what was going on what was around her and and that I really actually found that I got a kick out of doing that um and finding things out that I hadn't known before so um you know, I, I always think you can tell if an author is enjoying writing a book. If an author is also on a journey of discovery with the reader, I think the book is much more exciting um, than when it's all been, you know, absolutely fly, finally plotted to the last detail before you get the writing process actually occurs. And um, that it was an adventure because I would research a bit as I went. Mm. Um,
1: your teenage self must have been... Really nerding out Over learning all that stuff And, and enjoying
2: totally. it <laughs> Totally nerding out And I really do think That I have never actually Left my teenage self behind At all um, <laughs> She's very much alive In my 61 year old body uh, Causing trouble And saying the wrong thing At the wrong time And uh, not really worrying about um, The consequences of what She does And I'm very great, grateful Very very grateful to her um, So <laughs> And she also, I think, is absolutely the driver behind writing this, um, this trilogy, um, mm-hmm. which I'm now so sad to have finished <laughs> because, you know, spoiler alert, she dies at the end. Um, <laughs> and I have, basically, it, it is now over and I have to think about what to do next.
1: <laughs> well, we'll come to the question of what to do next a little bit later, but we'd love to know more about that research you mentioned. So what kind of stuff did you have to do?
2: Well, I didn't do. I didn't go to the primary sources very much because they're very they're quite hard to um, read and understand unless you're trained. But there are so many excellent secondary sources that that was um, the primary um, you know places where I found what I needed to find. And I'm careful in each of the books to list all the secondary sources that i referred to as i did my research because i'm also hoping that i will infuse some of my readers to find out more about the real elizabeth and that real that historical period of time because as the other thing that happened as i wrote was that i started to recognize enormous resonances between what happened then and what's happening now because of course. Um, the invention of the printing press which happened oh, uh, roughly about 50 or 60 years before Elizabeth was born maybe a little less um, was the beginning of the um, Protestant Reformation so the collapse of the, uh, the the total power that the Catholic Church had, had over all information mm-hmm. uh, for as long as anyone could remember in Europe and um, uh, there was a real disruption as a result of the printing press and um As I started to write this, I started to think, well, this is exactly what's happening today with the disruption that's been caused by the internet. And so it's not just about, in a funny way, what happened then. It also is a bit of of a pointer as to what might happen now um, as we go through a similar breakdown in uh, the power and control of established... um, forces, like the church, like business, like uh, the mega-rich, like white men, you know, starting Mm. as straight men are starting to lose their um, just assumption that they would be the people who are in charge, well, so it was for the Catholic church there was just this assumption that the priests were in charge of everything, worked alongside with the king and basically the people had no say on what went on. In fact they almost they didn't understand anything in a church service. The priest stood behind a screen with his back to the congregation and spoke in a language they didn't speak. So they didn't know what the hell was going on. They just had to be there. And as they as the printing press arrived that could of course get books print books so people learn to read to write and they started to insist on being able to read the bible in their own language they started to say i can have a direct relationship with god i don't have to have one to a priest so you can see how eventually that led to well if men can have a direct relationship with god why can't women why can't slaves why can't black people and if you can have a direct relationship with god why can't we have one with our government what about why can't we have a say we need a vote you can sort of see how it all cascaded out of that and um I feel the same way about what's happening today, that there will be a cast that we're seeing this fragmentation as people go, well, why, if we can listen to their voices, why can't we hear mine? Why can't I say what I want to say? Why aren't I as important as you just because my skin's a different colour or the contents of my knickers are different from the contents of your knickers? Um, And the same sort of uh, questions are beginning to be asked. And so it isn't just about the past, it's also about the present yeah
0: absolutely
1: (laughs) yeah no absolutely I can definitely see
0: the parallels with those situations too I mean it's true what they say isn't it history basically just
2: repeats itself (laughs) yep and and the only uh, only way we can imagine the future is to look at the lessons of history the trouble Mm. is so many people know so little about history now and I suppose part of what I'm hoping is if I can infuse readers with these books and they get fascinated and interested and also realize they can trust the facts that um they'll go and seek out more history and more historical novels and maybe biographies and learn more about the past so they're much better informed about what might happen in the future because you know that's really never been more important than just right now but you were asking me about my research and I wandered off sorry um <laughs> that's okay I um I do that a lot I um I did go to the UK uh, I did um you know, go to, um, the Hampton Court and, uh, also to, um, uh, Elizabeth's own palace, the name of which has just completely escaped from me. Um, um, anyway, it'll come back to me in a minute. Uh, and, you know, various places that she would have known in her lifetime, although she did not travel very far, very wide radius Mm -hmm. at all. Um, really probably not much further than 50 miles from medieval London in her whole life. Um, but I was also lucky enough to be in London when there was an exhibition in Greenwich um, about of, of objects that she had owned.
0: So mm-hmm. things
2: like her gloves, um, her coronation ring, which features quite heavily, particularly in the final book, um, the letter she wrote when she was begging for her life when she was about to be taken off to the Tower of London. She wrote it to her sister, Mary Tudor. Um, you know, they were all on display. So, I mean, That was just incredible there's nothing like seeing actual kind of remnants of the person you're writing about to bring them to life so the research was just a joy and a pleasure and um you know i got a i got a shape of things in my mind which you need if you're going to put a shape of them into your reader's mind um but i'm eternally grateful to the secondary sources and also i have to say the internet is wonderful i would think to myself you know how I found out about Christine de Pizan's book was i would never heard of it before. Was I wanted Elizabeth when she was told of Mary Queen of Scots' execution to to be looking at something, not to be looking at Francis Walsingham who gave her the news, but to be looking away from him. And I thought, well, they always had tapestries on the walls. I wonder what tapestries she owned. So I googled. I just googled what tapestries did Elizabeth the first own? picking? oh my, but up came Christine. The Book of the City of the Ladies, the fact that these great queens all owned tapestries taken from illustrations of that book, and it unlocked a whole new kind of uh, way of looking at the way these women almost quietly were subversive were challenging the uh, assumption, the absolute blanket assumption that men had that they were superior, intrinsically, totally, and completely superior. Um, The women couldn't directly um, challenge that, not even Elizabeth, but they could, through a tapestry, through a book, through all of them owning these things, send a quiet little message to themselves, to other women perhaps, and to one another
0: yeah wow. wow what would you say is the most interesting or most surprising thing you found while doing your research
2: well probably that the this yeah, yeah. tapestry <laughs> that, that, that really blew me away and really made me realise how arrogant we are to assume that feminism is a modern phenomenon um, to assume that up until a certain point women were just bitable and never had a subversive thought and of course they <laughs> did, they you know, they would have jacked up all the way along the line. Mm. Um, they just had no power to make it happen and were kept very separate from one another. But um, I'm trying to really think... I think, actually, I did come up with a sort th- of th- th- theory, in fact, as I wrote, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, maybe a historian would like to dispute me uh, with me, that Elizabeth I always said she wouldn't marry. Now, people find that a bit peculiar and the first question anyone ever asked me is you know she wasn't really a virgin was she and I go yeah I think she really was a virgin all the way through her life and there's all sorts of reasons for that The primarily that it was too dangerous not to be and the second one was she was never alone so you know I think it, yeah she was a virgin but um, the other thing is they sort of see her refusing to marry as kind of logical, well, she didn't want to share a power with a man. Well, I think there's part of it, but I think also they forget because they're not they're men and they're not thinking about they're not thinking with empathy. Um, you know, her father chopped her mother's head off It might put you off the whole idea um, mm. of and having mm. much to do with men, frankly. <laughs> um, they never think of that. It's so interesting that that's an entirely female perspective to see it from that uh, point of view, but... The other thing I suddenly realised was, and I don't know that she actually knew this consciously, but um, it may have dawned on her perhaps in later life, but I think there was some sort of unconscious thing. But she realised that if she had married and had a child, even if she'd married someone who she could keep um, at bay in, uh, in a power sense, though that would have been highly unlikely, but still, you know, women entertain fantasies about what marriage is going to be like I can imagine she could have done that I think she realized that had she given birth to a son she would in fact have probably written if not her own death warrant then certainly her own demise as queen because she watched what happened to Mary Queen of Scots and Mary Queen of Scots was deposed from her throne and forced to abdicate and forced to flee to England and then became prisoner of Elizabeth for 20 years, within almost a year, less than a year, of giving birth to a son. And because it was such an overwhelmingly sexist and patriarchal society, a baby boy was of greater value than an adult woman. And so though no one would have said out loud, oh, we've got the boy, we don't need the, the, the chick, get rid of her. Mm. That was really what was going on. And I think on some level, whether consciously or unconsciously, she worked out that any man close to her throne, particularly via her being of her flesh or being um, married to her, was a a deep existential threat. And so she did the only logical and intelligent thing. She said, okay, I'm not going to let anyone come close. And when I started to realise that, I thought, ah, no one's ever thought of, I've never heard that theory put forward either, because male historians and even female historians are coming out of a very sexist tradition, so they don't think about it Mm. from the woman's point of view. They don't. And when you write about someone as a novelist, as you would both know, you get into their shoes. You have Mm -hmm. empathy for that person. So you start to experience the world through their eyes to some extent, That's the active imagination that the novelist undertakes. And that opens your eyes to things that you cannot think about when you observe them only from the outside. And so to me, um, she made such sense, and one of the things I really like about her, and I. I had two moments where I realized why she'd been such a hero to me when I was young. The first was that she was a woman who applied her intelligence to her life. And women are explicitly dis- dis- we- we- we're discouraged from doing that. We are nowadays encouraged to apply our intelligence to our work, but not to our life. We're still supposed to fall in love and get carried away. <laughs> and, you know, not yep. be in control and all that crap. And actually... <laughs> The most important decision you can make for your life, in terms of having a good life, is to marry well, not stupidly. So apply your intelligence to it. Yeah. But the other <laughs> epiphany I had was um, came to me from um, a, a young woman at the Melbourne Writers Festival after I'd written Just Goal and we were doing you know doing a session about it. And she was very young. I mean, she can't kind of be more than ten or eleven. And she put her hand up and she said, "Did you realise when you were writing the book that you were rewriting the Cinderella myth?" And I looked at her and I went, no, but you're absolutely right. It is a rewrite of the Cinderella myth. And you have just made me realize why she's always been my hero. And that is because Cinderella is neglected and abused, and you know, and Elizabeth went to all of that. She didn't even have clothes that fitted her when she was a girl because no one thought about buying her new clothes or allocating any money because she was the despised bastard princess of that whore, Anne Boleyn, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was a Cinderella. and um, But of course, Cinderella was rescued by a prince. Elizabeth grew up, became her own prince, and rescued herself. There is no more
0: feminist story
1: than that. Yeah, well, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, um, I think that the thing that interests me then is that, I mean there's a lot of a lot about this this conversation that's fascinating me, but um, you know, why then choose to, to write it as a young adult novel rather than say something in the style of Julia Baird's Victoria or you know, some something like yeah. that.
2: Well Julia Baird's Biography, rather than not. Uh, not of course, and yes. And I think if I'd wanted to get this published as a adult book, I would either have had to have write, written it as a, a biography, and I don't believe that I'm uh, that that's really what I was interested in, or that I'm uh, 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 equipped enough in a scholarly fashion to do that, really. But the other the other thing, uh, or I would have had to write it in a Philippa Gregory, uh, somewhat salacious kind of style, honest mm. Ripper kind of thing, which I also didn't want to do. But, in fact, I didn't write this as young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. I wrote what I wanted to write. What happened was I tried to get it published um, as just a book, you know, a novel. And um, people would come back and they'd all say the same thing, oh, I really enjoyed it, but I can't see how to market it. So, you know, reluctantly I passed. And I was getting really frustrated. I was thinking, well, if you really enjoyed it, what makes you think other people would really enjoy it? <laughs> exactly, and yeah. then a friend of mine said, oh, publishing very, you know, all the bullshit of the marketing gurus, sadly, but um, the um, another friend of mine is a young adult novelist, and she said, "Have you thought about it as young adult fiction?" And I said, "Oh no, but it'd be perfect." And she said, "Well, why don't you send it to my publisher?" And so I did. I sent it to um, Christina Schultz at uh, UQP, and within we two weeks, out of contract. Excellent.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And
2: I, think, and I think I think what it is is that young adult fiction, to some extent, now. Is, is often fiction that doesn't have any actual sex scenes in it. Yeah, well, so that's true. <laughs> Jane Eyre would
1: have been young adult fiction if it was written now. Yeah, mm. and it, it it is really all about like how things are marketed, and that that can be frustrating yeah. about the the publishing industry because we've we've had quite a few people who have spoken to authors who have spoken to who've said, you know, I didn't set out to write it with an age range in mind. It's just a story. <laughs> it's just that's a
2: not story. how a novelist
1: thinks. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. It's it's just that particular story, and you know there are there are certainly there are adult books that have you know younger protagonists, but for some reason they're marketed in yes, a different way.
0: They're adult, they're and I I
1: can't think old. of any examples right now, but I know oh, that the the, um, yeah. the golden the, the the wonderful.
2: It's really really good. Um, uh, the latest one is at the Golden Something by um, what's her name? London. Um, it's very good. It's about a young. <laughs> people in a young kids like the sort of pubescent kids in a, um, a polio ward in uh, uh, or was uh, it polio ward? yeah I think it's polio ward mm. in 60s uh, and 60s Australia it's brilliant but mm, that's marketed yeah. as an adult book and I think that's because she writes mostly adult books yeah, so, so she now sort of, can write a yeah. book about young people and it's seen as an adult book but um, I think, particularly in this genre of sort of historical novel, it doesn't fit the, the adult marketing silos anymore. Um, fortunately, that gives young adult publishers such an opportunity mm. to uh, be able to publish a much, much more ver- wider variety of books. I get a lot of adult readers saying to me, I love young adult publishers. I love it. And I think there's something in that that, you know, it's not stuck in a groove. It's not. Mm oh, it's the great man of literature writing about what it is, how difficult it is to be a white man and constantly (laughs) sexually frustrated, you know, or it's, you know, a big important novel about, you know, major, you know, blah, 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 all the genres that they kind of go on with. Or it's sexy and it's about, you know, women getting seduced all over the place or blah, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of excellent adult fiction, of course. But I think for new authors... There's got to be something kind of out of the box, sort of sensational about it before it gets published. But I like little, often little books mm. um, uh, that, that uh, maybe are about very ordinary people going about their lives. Um, and I don't know, there was a lot of those in the 50s and 60s and I still go back to a lot of those and read them. But
1: there's very little published like that now. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. we, we are both um, fans of contemporary fiction and we often talk about this, you know, there are books that we absolutely love. The the first one that comes to mind is Untidy Towns by Kate O'Donnell, which is a UQP book as well, if I remember correctly. Oh,
0: yeah,
1: um, That there They're just character-driven novels. And if you were to tell someone, like... Basically the plot is
0: she, she's deciding what to do yeah. with her life after high school. And- she
1: she yeah. I think she gets suspended, she goes back to her country town, there's a boy involved, but you know, like it's it's just what does she do after school? What does she want to do? And it sounds boring when you say it like that, but we both loved that book because of the character development. And exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I must read it because that's what I really love and I think a lot of crime fiction now fits into that like I was thinking about The Dry which has been you yes. know, the smash hit um, Australian novel recently and um, that is really about a small country town and the personalities and things in that small country town and yeah, there's a horrific murder that's trying to be solved which gets it into the crime fiction blah 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 but in fact, the really interesting part about that story is the detective coming back to his, you know, uh, the town that he used to live in and his life, you know, it's it's really just about character and small things. And the novel, mm. the, the, the crime is there that's it's important, and of course it is. But what fascinated me was the development of the people in the town, their past, their present, um, and what they're doing with their lives now. And. You know, I just, I think a lot of crime fiction has kind of gotten around the fact that we're not allowed to have a small palette anymore um, Mm -hmm. by putting in a a, a, a lurid murder and then having a whole lot of interesting people around it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, Goodwood by Holly Throsby is another, like, that's a similar sort of thing, which is a a small town rocked by a mystery, and it's just all the, the strange and bizarre things that go on behind closed doors in that town and you keep reading because you you want to know what happens but also you're just connected to all these people in the town and i love that i love that and i i'm glad also that you know there is writing like yours which is a historical and well researched um, novel as well but just kind of goes back to that character is development about the characters. yeah 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 and yeah. And, 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 and it about, is good. and it's
2: telling us again or, I almost think this is my life's work, to say to people, stop emphasizing our differences. Our differences drive us apart. We need to emphasize our similarities, what makes us human, what we all share, our emotions. Okay, what triggers those emotions may be different, but we all know what it is to feel pain. We all know what it is to feel joy. We all know what it is to feel, you know, disappointment, sadness, loss, and That's, I think, the novelist's job. The novelist's job is to take a situation which is not like yours and make you feel like you're living in it Mm. because you can emotionally identify with what's going on, even though you may never have been in a spaceship or lived in 1550s England or stood on the... I mean, my opening chapter in Just Flesh and Blood is actually the only chapter in the whole book or the whole trilogy which is not in the first voice but is in fact inside anne boleyn's head as she stands on the scaffold a few minutes before she is executed i actually mm. went there i went to what would that have felt like i knew mm. what she did i knew what she said i knew every minute of what happened so i mm. wanted to think what's going on in her mind Expresses itself in those actions and those words And (laughs) I can do that only because I use my empathy as well as my imagination Mm -hmm. And I have nothing in common with Ambillion not a thing But she's human. I'm human. I reckon we can work it out
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely um you mentioned wow. before that you're you're quite sad that, you know, Elizabeth's story has come to an end um, in these books. Are there any other women in history who, you know, you, you might like to, to write about?
2: I have been tossing up for some time about Mary Wollstonecraft. I don't know if I've got the energy right now to start on, but um, mm-hmm. I, she's always in the back of my mind nagging away at me because people know quite a lot about her daughter, Mary Shelley, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. who wrote Frankenstein, and uh, she died giving birth to Mary Shelley, which I think is really interesting. Um, But also, Mary Wiltercraft was the first uh, really out feminist. She wrote Vindication of the Rights of Woman um, in response to Thomas Mann's vindication of the rights of man during the French Revolution, and she was in Paris during the Revolution. So... She's an English woman, but um, she was in... And she was she'd had a child out of wedlock with a lover, and she was very... So she's very out there. There be a lot of sex in that one, let me tell you. But um, <laughs> she, she was very out there. Not that I'm going to write the sex scenes. I'm sorry. I look maybe I'm just a British old lady, I don't know. But every time I read an adult book and they go off into the sex scene, I skip. Because so I think, yeah, yeah, I know how it goes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and yeah.
2: Let's go back to the people. Um, and... Uh, Particularly if that's that silly obligatory need to give you a titillation while you're reading what is otherwise a quite serious book, Mm. I just I'm not interested. Um, So, but Mary Wollstonecraft is a fascinating personality and a relatively unknown personality, and I think particularly for young women and men, um, probably they don't know much about her at all. May not even have ever heard of her. And she was also a woman who was brave, thought outside the square, you know, totally um, challenged the status quo, was incredibly smart. Um, and although she didn't come to a terrific end, she died childbirth as so many women did back then. We, we also, that's about our history that we've written out and ignored. Um, but she was, you know, <clears throat> someone we need to rediscover. I need to rediscover her.
1: Oh, I mean, please write that book. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> yes,
2: I probably will. The that I'm talking about it with you probably means I will.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you've obviously, it's easy to see you've got a real passion for her story as well. So I'm, I've no doubt you you will get there eventually. But, yeah, have a break first. Enjoy the yes, fact that you've you've written these three amazing books. Um, and, yeah, then, then maybe start researching on the side. And <laughs> I will.
2: <laughs> good think, advice i will
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today jane where can people thank follow you. your work and and find you online
2: uh well i i don't really I, i've got a public facebook page which is just jane Caro, um and uh you can follow me on twitter i'm vociferous on twitter do hit tweeting at jane Caro, and i'm always putting my um new articles um reviews, books, whatever's going on, on my Twitter feed. So that's probably the best
0: place to keep up with what's going on, at Jane Caro on Twitter. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay, so everyone go follow her and then go follow us, at Better Words Podcast yeah, exactly. on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our website is betterwordspodcast.com.
1: And we will see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you again, you Jane. So much for <laughs> joining us.
0: My pleasure. Excellent. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Jane. Bye.